we lift up this time, and I pray for such a fresh anointing on this word tonight, that your spirit just fill and brood over every life. Lord, I ask you that you'd help us to have good fertile soil, and because the anointing and the glory and the presence of God is so thick and so strong, Lord, I pray that you would help us to get captivated tonight, focused, to give you our best ear and full attention, that our eyes be anointed to see, our ears anointed to hear. And we'll have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds. I ask you, Lord, that you would speak through me your words of life tonight. And it'll go out as living seeds of truth that's sown in a good, fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and will take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, we bind away anything that would try to hinder the word and hinder the preaching of the word or hinder the seed in any way from getting into people's lives. We bind it now. And Lord, I ask you for a mighty anointing as this word goes forth and accomplishes that which you sent it forth to do. We bless you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you didn't get a chance yet to hear last week's sermon, I encourage you to please make it a point to hear it. We keep them online. You can can get it off our website. You can get it off of our... um, our, our page, our sermon page on sermon.net, you can get it, you can podcast it through iTunes. Just look up River of Life and Scott Boyd, look that up and it'll come up. But it was called uh, Conquering Religious Witchcraft. And it's kind of part one to this, but also it has a lot to do with what we're doing, organizing corporate prayer in this region. And so if you didn't get a chance to hear it, please hear that. Make it a point to hear it. But tonight I'm going to be talking about revival, and I believe that this sermon will change a lot of lives. I really do. It's not something you're probably going to hear preached a lot. But you know, I'm going to give you an analogy. How would you feel if you knew something was wrong, and you went to a doctor, and that doctor looked you over? Now follow me with this, okay? He looked you over. And he knew what was wrong. I mean, he knew that it wasn't anything serious right now at all, and it's easily treated. He could deal with it. But if he ignored it and he didn't deal with it, over time it could become life-threatening. It could kill you. And he knew it was there. You'd come to him. But he was so concerned. He was so consumed with himself. He was so concerned about, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want them upset with me. I don't want them to to freak out and leave and go to a different doctor because I I want their money. You know, I don't want to upset them. So instead of telling you the truth and dealing with the issue that could easily be dealt with, he went and he got just some basic pain pills because he knew that these pain pills would go into your system and they would numb the, the symptoms that you're having. And so basically, he gave you something that would just make you numb to the issue. But he never was willing to deal with the issue. And so you, he told you everything was fine. He told you, you look great. He said, take these, you'll be fine. And you started taking them, and it numbed the symptoms. And then a year or two passes, and it goes into something serious that ends up taking your life. How would you feel about that doctor? He was so consumed with himself, all he cared about was himself, and he, was, he didn't want to deal with issues. 
I'm sure that you've already picked up on the analogy, but that's unfortunately where a lot of preachers are going right now. They don't want to deal with stuff. And now he knows the cross is the cure. You know, if they would preach the cross and the blood and bring people to Jesus and preach repentance and all that, people's problems would be alleviated before they get serious. But they, they, they talk to people and try to make people feel like everything's okay when it's not. It's all rooted in an issue within themselves that they want people to like them. They want a pat on the back. They don't want to lose people. They don't want to offend anybody. They want to be popular. They want to be accepted. Whatever the motive of the heart is, it's selfish. It's about them. It's not about the people. And so they just basically are giving people little pain pills every week. Something to make you feel good and tell you how good you are. Motivational speeches to make you feel good about yourself. And they don't realize it, but down the road, these people could end up, it could end up costing their very soul. I had a friend of mine, this story has spread. I mean, I've heard a lot of, I've heard some preachers preach it literally all over the nation, but I had a friend of mine that this happened to. And I knew him. He was an older gentleman. He was, he was a good friend. I was going through a lot in my life. He was a preacher of the gospel. And I used to spend time with him out in Weatherford, Texas area. And he told me that whenever he was younger, he was living in sin. And the Lord got a hold of him. Now he was living, he was, he was shacked up with a girl. He was living in sin. He didn't know the Lord. And he found Jesus, accepted the Lord as Savior. And the Lord called him into ministry. And this is how the Lord called him in the ministry. The Lord gave him a vision. He said that when the Lord spoke to him about going to the ministry, he was, dealing, he was getting the sin out of his life. He was getting right with God. And the Lord spoke to him to preach the gospel. And as the Lord was speaking to him, he said that it was like the ground just opened up and he saw straight into hell. He said it was, it was literal. It was like he was standing there and all of a sudden it just opened up and he could see down into hell. And this is what he saw. He saw a man... He said that this man had more hate on his face than he's ever seen in his life. He was so angry and bitter and just full of hatred. You could see it. He said it just emanated from this guy. And this guy was going from pit to pit because everybody was in individual pits of fire where they were tormented, they were burning in this pit, and they couldn't get out. And he was going from pit to pit, and he was grabbing people at the top of their head, and he was turning them so he could see their face. And with disgust, he would just throw him back down. He was going from pit to pit doing this. And he's sitting there looking at this, and he says, Lord, what in the world is this guy doing? And this is what the Lord told him. He's calling him into ministry, and he said, that man is looking for the preacher that told him that he could live in sin and still go to heaven when he died. And the Lord said to my friend, he said, do not be that preacher. And that was his call into ministry. Now, you know that would stay with somebody. I mean, that happened to him, but even us that hear it, that affects us. I remember Reinhard Bonnke, there was a man that was raised from the dead. And some of you guys have seen this. If you haven't, I could show it to you sometime. But I don't remember the guy's name, but he was, he was an African pastor. He was driving down the road. He had a car wreck, and it crushed his chest. He went to the hospital. He was dead. And for three days, I mean, he was dead, and he was embalmed, okay? And... The wife, though, of this preacher had heard from God about the story of Lazarus. Those that believe can receive back from the dead. And so, by faith, she took his casket. This man had been dead and embalmed for three days. Took his casket to a Reinhardt Bonnke meeting. 
and they, they didn't want to disturb the meeting. They didn't want to be a distraction. So they took this dead man down into the basement underneath where nobody was except a few people. And they, they had a video camera. And while they were there, Reinhardt was upstairs preaching. You know how he is. Just getting into it, yelling and screaming, you know. There's nothing quiet about Reinhardt. You guys ever seen him preach? So he's up there tearing it up. I'm sure they can hear him down the basement. All of a sudden, while they're videoing, this guy's chest starts breathing. I mean, he's, he's as stiff as you could be. I mean, just rigor mortis. Is sitting. He's sitting there, he starts breathing. His eyes open. He sits up. But this is what happened. He tells his testimony. He said that he was a preacher of the gospel. And whenever he died, there was an angel that came to visit him and took him down to hell and showed him the gates of hell. They opened. And there was, there was a preacher in hell. And this preacher was screaming and yelling, I'll, I'll give it back because he had stolen money. I'll give it back. I'll do whatever I have to do. But it was too late for him. You know, I mean, it was too late to give back the money he stole. And the angel told this preacher, said, if you did not have this experience, you would have ended up in hell too. Anyway, he was shown hell, then he was shown heaven, and he came back, and he shares about it. It's really a powerful story. But I want to preach on revival. What true revival by definition is, is people falling in love with Jesus. That's what revival really is. It's people falling in love with Jesus. And because they fall in love with Jesus, they're getting right with Jesus. So this is going to be an interesting sermon tonight. But I believe it will be a blessing to you guys. Now I'm going to take my passage from 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people... And I'm going to break this down because this is the main scripture for this whole sermon, okay? But I want you to notice the word if. There is certain things that are contingent on us. You know, the Lord said, you renew your mind. I'll help you, but you renew your mind. So in other words, the Lord isn't going to renew your mind for you. He'll help you do it, but it is our responsibility to renew our mind. This is one of those things. It's like the Lord says, humble yourself. There's certain things that we have to do out of obedience to the Lord. Are you hearing me? This is one of those passages where it says, if my people, if you will do this, I will do this. Do you remember the scripture says, if you will draw nigh to me, then I'll draw nigh to you. But this is what it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, not before, then after this, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. But this is it. Let me read again. If my people, not the world, Christians, if Christians will humble themselves, number one, number two, will pray and seek God's face, and number three, will turn from their sin, then the Lord says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, once you notice the Lord's response, the Lord said, I want you to do three things. You humble yourself. You pray and seek my face. You repent of your sin. Those are the three things we have to do. And God says, if you'll do that, then I will hear your prayers. Did you know that your prayers can be unheard and not responded to? He said, then I will hear your prayers. I will forgive your sin. And I will come and heal your land. And the healing of the land has to do with revival. God begins to pour out His Spirit. And the area, the geographic area, is affected 
in an awesome way when God begins to show up. Amen? So that's basically how I want to take this, is just talk about true revival. Now the word, the phrase counterfeit revival is actually an oxymoron in many ways, but regardless, true revival has to do with a falling in love with Jesus, being hungry and passionate for the things of God, and turning from your sin and getting right with God. That's really what true revival is. Did you catch that? It's falling in love with Jesus. It's being hungry for the things of God. And it is getting right with the Lord. It's getting the sin out. Did you know the first stronghold that God has to deal with is pride? Because if he doesn't deal with that, people will justify things. God has to deal first with that stronghold in people and break that in them so that they'll humble themselves. Some people justify their sin. They want, they want to act like they're a victim and they never did anything and they, they justify. But see, true revival brings a humility, doesn't it? People humble themselves in revival. So the first stronghold God has got to break in all of us is pride so that we'll humble ourselves. Humility brings the grace of God, but pride causes God to set his hand against people. In Proverbs 6, it talks about there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. And you ought to read it because it has a lot to do with pride. But let me talk to you about humility. Jesus spoke to me and said, I'm coming again to a manger. Those that are wise will once again seek and find me. Now, he spoke that to me. I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm certainly not saying it's for other churches or anything. He spoke that to me. And he was saying to me, because at the time, there was a lot of things going on that were real high-profile and charismatic, and they were good, but, but it, didn't, it wasn't fruitful. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm coming to a, a, an obscure, humble place. And I talked about it last week. It's like, why would the King of Glory come to a manger? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus could have come to a cathedral? He could have come to a palace. But he chose to come to a manger which stunk like animal manure, had straw in it. It, w- it was, I'm sure it was small. It was nothing that in any way would be attractive. Or Nobody would be drawn to that place because of the manger. The only reason people would come there is because Jesus was there. And it reminds me of Azusa Street. There was nothing about that place... It was a glorified barn. I mean, it really was. It was like a stable that they renovated. They took these planks and they nailed them to these um, uh, tubs or whatever. And people sat on that. It, there was nothing about it that was attractive. The only reason people would travel the world to go to Azusa Street was because the Lord was there. And it makes me believe that Jesus wants it that way. He comes in a way that he doesn't want anything else to be the attention Anything else to get the glory? Anything else to be drawing people but Him? And God, and I gave this scripture last week about all seek their own, not that of Jesus Christ. People have their own agenda. I'm not going to get back into that. But let me just share some things that are on my heart. Humility is the key. Number one, that is number one, because we have to be willing to humble ourselves. And 
So many people, I'm just going to share from my heart tonight as I feel the Lord leading me. So many people, they have some kind of calling on their life of whatever it is. And you know, most people feel like I'm ready way before they're ready. Are you hearing me? Most people feel like I need to be out there doing this, 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 and this. This is my calling. This is my gifting. And I should be doing it. And the Lord, you're nowhere near being ready. You just think you are. But what that is, that's that's common human nature. That's the pride within all of us that God's got to break. Everybody has to go through a time of humility and servanthood before you start moving into what you feel like that you're called to do, whatever that is. And I remember when I was first saved and and, um, was going to Bible school, God opened a door for me to be in an internship in South Dallas at a church. And basically, God put me there. I was, I was the janitor for sure. I mean, I cleaned that whole place and set things up. I served. I set up chairs. And I really didn't do hardly any speaking every once in a while, but it's very rare. I mostly just served. And I, I scrubbed many toilets, friend, let me tell you. And I didn't have a bad attitude about it because I knew that that was just the season in my life. Uh, Sandy told me when she got called, whenever she got saved, she was telling me she used to clean this church, and she would just sit there and just sing and be so happy she had an opportunity to serve. And she was cleaning toilets, just like I was. You see, some people see themselves above that, but you're not ever going to be promoted into anything until you're willing to scrub toilets. I'm just telling you. Until you're willing to wash feet, until you're willing to set up, until you're willing to humble yourself and serve, God cannot entrust to you anything significant because humility is the ramp for promotion. This is good. It shouldn't be so quiet in here. We've got to learn to serve and learning to be humble. You guys remember Pastor Hombre? came from Congo, came and preached at, at Refuge. We, we were there. Well, remember him telling about that? You know, he said he, had, he was a graduate of Christ for the Nations. And he was working at a church as the janitor. And he had some, he had some pretty bad stories about that. I'm not going to share that he had, you know. He, he went through some very humbling experiences for those that are there that remember that. But he said that at first he hated it, but God, God was humbling him. He was breaking something in you remember this? And he was sharing also about how when he very first started preaching, it, it ended up all being about the limelight and being, you know, on television and, and going to certain places. And it was everything, he was, he was sharing this from his heart. He was saying everything was with the wrong motive. And God showed him that and broke that in him. And he said, forget all of it. I'm just going after Jesus. I'm just going to serve the Lord. There's got to be a breaking in all of us. I believe with all my heart that revival is, is already beginning in America. And Dallas is going to be ground zero one day for a major move of God. Major, major move of God. Probably the greatest move of God this nation has ever seen by far. And Dallas is going to be the hub. But God right now is, is deciding who's going to be usable and who isn't. And you know what one of the greatest key factors in that is? Humility. Servanthood. You know, God's been dealing with me, and I'm just sharing this from you know a pastor's heart. But God's been dealing with me about you know forget all the other stuff. 
just like we just started this ministry about you know reaching out to the homeless like never before, the nursing homes, maybe hospitals, going to prisons. Well, none of this is anything that in any way is going to get any attention to us. This is about Jesus being glorified and reaching out to the lost and the hurting. That's the only motive. You know, when you preach something like this, all you get is two responses. You get the gratification within you that you see people getting right with God, number one, or you get the persecution of people that hate this kind of preaching. That's all you get. But it's just like doing the corporate prayer. I mean, it's, it's about seeing Jesus glorified and God moving in this region. That's it. I hope that the young ministers are hearing me and seeing this, these last two sermons and seeing what's going on, because it's not about the smoke and the lights, your name being in lights. It's not about your popularity. It's not about you. It's about Jesus being glorified in the earth and about reaching out to the lost and hurting, and that's it. And that's all that's going to matter on Judgment Day. And just like I shared last week, I don't want to be standing in a pile of ashes. And I don't want to be in heaven and look over at you and you're in a pile of ashes. I want you to be able to have rewards there because you did the right things for the right reasons. You know, I believe with all my heart that heaven is going to be such a major shock to so many people. People that were anti-Pentecostal, can you imagine what's going to be like for them? They're going to be blown away. People that hated revival, man, they're going to be shocked. I, you know, Lyndall Cooley said that 30 minutes or whatever of silence in the book of Revelation was all those people just was seeing what heaven was actually like, you know, just in shock, in awe. But in heaven, those that some of, the, some of those that were greatest here, that it seemed like they were the greatest here, they had the greatest reputation, the greatest status. They were known. They were respected. Everybody looked up to them. And in heaven, they're going to, some of them are going to be the least. And Jesus said that. He said the first will be last, the last first. The greatest will be the least, the least the greatest. There's going to be people in heaven that nobody knew. They were some obscure missionary that God had called out in the middle of nowhere that gave their life for the gospel. They served every day. They won souls. They were faithful. Nobody knew who they were. Nobody seemed to care about them. They ended up dying on the mission field and they're going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Mark my words and remember that. Because Jesus judges things totally different than man. His judgment is righteous. And the Bible says that God sees the heart. That has to do with motives. So number one, we've got to get a lot of things out of our thinking and out of our hearts and really get humble before God. Because one of the things in revival God wants to deal with, He loves us and He's wanting to deal with all of our sin and imperfection and everything about us that's hindering us from going deeper in Him. Number two, prayer and seeking God's face. Every revival that has ever been has been birthed in prayer and sustained by prayer, and that's been the key. Now, this is a praying church, so I don't have to dwell on this point. But I'm just saying we're not going to stop praying anytime soon. We've got to keep pressing in. There's always more. You know, I chuckle sometimes at some of the Pentecostal people 
that they get baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. It's almost like they sit there and go, I have arrived. I've, I've got what the Bible says. I'm, there's always more. There's always more than what we have. And I had the opportunity to preach out in East Texas. I was telling the people, I was like, if you don't think there's more, then when's the last time your shadow healed the sick? And when's the last time you laid hands on somebody that was raised from the dead? There's more. There's more than what we have, and we've got to keep pressing in. Jesus said, well, the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. A lot of people, and let me tell you something else. God has got to break the stronghold of doubt and unbelief in people because some people have a mentality like, they see themselves walking in freedom and, and f- the fullness of what Jesus... They, they, they can't even see themselves there. They think, well, that may be for somebody else, but not for me. And they'll read the Bible and they'll see these great exploits and they have a mentality within themselves like, well, God could use somebody else, but not me. God can use you just as much as He's ever used anybody else and He wants us just to humble ourselves and go after Him. But we've got to be hungry for more of the Lord. And you can't read the Bible and say, well, I guess God could use Peter, and I guess he could use James and John, and I guess he could use these other people, but I don't, I don't know if he can use me. That, that is not true. The only reason he would not be able to is if you really believe that. Quit thinking that way. Are you hearing me? I'm talking about the stronghold of pride coming down to people, and now I'm talking about the stronghold of unbelief. The only thing that holds us back from seeing the fullness of what we read about in the Bible is in between your ears. That's it. We've got to change the way we think. And understand that God loves to use the foolish things of the world. He he loves to use the weak to confound the wise. If you feel like that you're weak and you're a nobody, then most likely you're a good candidate because He's always used those people. He seemed to always pick those that nobody else would have picked. That's why he picked King David. I mean, he was the biggest nobody. He was a nobody in his city and a nobody in his family. And they would have never thought he would have been anointed king. But God said, I don't look at those outward things. I look at the heart. And God saw David's heart and raised him up. Are y'all hearing me tonight? The only thing that's holding anybody back is your level of believing that God can use you. That's why I tell people to dream big. I'm not talking about dreaming big about being known and all that. I'm talking about dreaming big, seeing God see you know a great harvest of souls and, and great things. Lives transformed. But prayer is the key. We're only going to have it if we pray and if we go after God for it. That's it. I feel this for some people tonight. I feel like that you're selling yourself way short. You feel like that, well, God could use somebody else and not me. If you believe that way the rest of your life, it may end up being that way because God can't use unbelief. But if you'll break that out of your mind and understand that God can use us. That we're made righteous because of the blood of Jesus, not not because we're perfect, but because of the blood. And if if we'll get a revelation of that and understand that the blood is what makes us righteous and, and quit trying to look at yourself. See, I think a lot of times people look at themselves and, and they're so critical of themselves. But that's not the way God sees us. He knows that we have imperfections, but when the Father looks at us, He sees us through the blood of Jesus. And so He actually sees you righteous. Those that are sincere and real. He sees you righteous. 
And he's just waiting for you to rise up and go after him and believe him for great things. Are you radical enough to believe him for things that you read about in the Bible? Even if you haven't seen it, even if you haven't seen other people do it. I've always been inspired by David Hogan's story because he was somebody that, that was a big nobody. And he, was, he got baptized in fire in the charismatic revival. He was thrown out in the jungles of Mexico. And for years, he was out there trying to learn the language and witness to people and saw nothing. A lot of people would get discouraged when after like two years you don't see a convert. A lot of people get discouraged. But he kept going after God. He laid hands on a little uh, deaf girl. She wasn't healed. He, he prayed for somebody else and they died. And here he is just, you know, fighting all that discouragement and keep going after God. But eventually, because he persevered, the dead started getting raised. And to this day, I, I don't know exactly all the numbers, but in the whole ministry, there's at least over 400 people raised from the dead. There's been... Every part of the human body has either been healed or recreated. And just major miracles all throughout that whole region. A great harvest of souls. But see, he was daring to believe God for great things. Even though he was having to fight the discouragement of not seeing it right now. And having to deal with the issues in his own personal life. I think that all of us have gone through times of... of where God has kind of put us through the fire. And it seems like in the fire, all these trials come and difficulties, but it's just like I said last week. You know, when God puts the squeeze on you, whatever's in you starts coming out. And all of a sudden, because of all the pressure of the trials and all the stuff that's squeezing down on you, some ugly stuff starts coming out you didn't know was there. And Jesus looks down and says, Well... I knew that was there. I was just trying to help you see it was there. So that you could pray about it and get it out of your life. So I can use you. If we'll humble ourselves and we'll pray, pray big. You know, if I'm going to pray, why would I waste my time praying about just small? You know, why do that? Why not pray big? Why not pray for, for millions of people to get saved and lives transformed? Why, why not pray big and believe God for big? And the third thing is turn from our wicked ways. Repentance of sin is the key. Now everybody has issues in their life. Everybody does. So I'm going to come at this from an angle I want you to hear in my heart tonight, okay? The first thing I want to say is this. God understands that when people come to Him, that some people have bondage and things in their life that they've got to get delivered of and healed of. He understands that. Now, when I got saved and I moved to the Dallas area, this is really part of my testimony. It's why I'm... I'm have the deliverance ministry that I have because I needed to be set free from some things. But I didn't even know that. I was a baby Christian. And I was looking for somebody to mentor me. But what I found was I was in a place where this church, it was a full gospel church so by name, but it was dead. It was sterile. 
and the people around there really didn't understand. They didn't understand that about Christians needing to be set free from things and all of that. They just didn't. They didn't get it. And the problem is, is that you get this religious spirit on these people, and it's it's just like it's critical. And if you don't measure up to their perfection, I mean, right off, it's just a real judgmental, critical thing. And I got real turned off toward religion early on, which is probably the Lord's plan. And to this day, I can't stand religion. And I'm not saying that some of the some of my attitudes are perfect or anything like that. But even even some of the lingo and some some of the things, I, I just avoid it because I don't want to be religious. It just it, it gets on my nerves because that's what I was around when I was young in the Lord, and I was going through a lot, and I was reaching out for help. I had a sincere heart, but I myself needed to be set free from some things, and I needed help, but I wasn't getting it. So. I began to dive into prayer and fasting and going after God for myself. I didn't have any help. I, to this day, I don't, I don't know of anybody that has ever prayed for me for any type of deliverance in my whole Christian walk about anything. I had to do it by myself. See, you guys are very fortunate because you have a powerful church you can come to. I didn't. That church was dead. You, and you have at least a preacher that understands... I would go to them. They didn't know what in the world. They didn't know. So I understand that when people get saved, some people need to be set free from some things. They need generational curses broken. They need stuff broken off and driven out of their life that they've opened themselves up to. You know, whether you want to use the word demonized, oppressed, whatever word you want to use, I really don't care. Um, I remember hearing David Hogan say this one time. He said, you know, he said, only in America will they sit around and argue and fuss about somebody Somebody has a demon in their life and they're going to argue and fuss whether what is, is the demon in them, on them, around them, above them, living in their backyard, follows them around. Are they demonized, oppressed, possessed, whatever the word is. He said, only in America will they sit around and... and argue and fuss about that, about little doctrines and fight about it. He said, I, he said, I got an idea for you. Why don't you just get rid of the demon? There's a thought. So I don't care whatever word people want to use. But I, I'm going to tell you this too. Once you get anointed, you're going to see some stuff you ain't seen before. See, I went through and I, I used to minister and all of that and God would move and touch. But once God really touched my life and I started going through praying for people on the altar, once God really touched my life and there was an anointing now and I was going through praying for people, that's when I started seeing demons manifest. So I'm not saying this to be mean in any way here in my heart, but I just wonder sometimes about these critics that say, well, Christians can't need deliverance or whatever. I wonder how anointed they really are and if they've actually encountered it. Because the truth is, once you really get anointed, you will run into it. I remember the Lord thrusting me into situations where, where people needed to be set free and delivered of things. And it shocked me. Because it totally went against my, my pet doctrines, if you will. That there were people that I knew, I knew for a fact they were sincere Christians. Probably much more sincere than, than these critics out there. But I saw things. I saw them scream, fall to the ground, demons leave them. And when the demons left, that they were being physically healed. They were being, mental illness was leaving. 
they, they bondages and things were broken off their life. Major testimonies. If you want revival and you want a mighty anointing, you're going to see these things. And there's going to be people out there that don't understand it because it doesn't line up with their little pet doctrines that they have. But I'm telling you, it will come up. I remember I was ministering at a home for teenagers. This is the first time I began to see this stuff. And God had mightily touched my life now. And so I was going through praying for people. And I wasn't expecting it. I was just going through praying for people. And all of a sudden, some little girl would start growling at me in, in a man's voice. And I knew that this little girl was saved and loved Jesus. And I'm sitting there kind of like, what's that thing doing in there? And then I'd back out, you know, and she'd fall on the ground, flop around everywhere and get delivered. Now let me ask you this. You put yourself in my shoes. What are you supposed to do? Just leave the little girl, just tell the little girl, listen. Um, what you're going through doesn't line up with my doctrine. I'm sorry, but you know, I... And let me tell you, let me tell you, this is actually what some people do. This is actually going on. They'll look at somebody like that and go, now we, we just think that you're mentally unstable and you just need some Prozac. You need a good shrink. You need some counseling. Calm things down. And, and you'll be okay. And they live tormented by something that the preacher, instead of being a little girly man, is it okay I say girly man? Instead of being a little girly man, should deal with it and drive it out and not be afraid of it. I remember um, one time Doreen Irvine wrote her book about free from witchcraft. She got saved out of Satanism. And she went to church and she was in this some kind of a Presbyterian type church. It was real formal. And they would break out the communion. And she'd just be sitting there minding her own business and just waiting for the communion. And the communion would get near her. She'd get near what represented the blood and she'd start manifesting demons end up on the ground. But she'd just come out of Satanism. Of course she has demons. This isn't complicated. And so she, she was leaving the church and she told the, the priest or whatever, bishop, whatever it was, she says, Sir, listen. I've been addicted to drugs for, for years. I've, you know, I've been in hardcore Satanism. I've been this, this, this. I, I need somebody to help me and, and get me delivered. And she said she was looking at him. And the blood just drained out of his face. He turned as pale as a ghost. And he just shakes her hand, nice to see you, ma'am, and just kind of pushed her out the door and kept shaking people's hands. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. That's, that's a girly man thing right there. So she ends up desperate. She's crying out to God. She's like, I need somebody that can help me. And she came across the name of a preacher that was bold and would deal with it. And she called him, and he came to help her. And when he showed up, she heard the, the demons in her. She heard one of them say, get him out of here. He's too holy for us. Get him out of here. And they were very upset that he showed up. Anyway, he drove them out. And I'll never forget, too, our friend, I'm not going to say who it is, but got saved out of Satanism. That Sandy and I know, She actually got saved because of Sandy's testimony. And Sandy was trying to minister to her. And uh, knew, this lady knew. She's like, she grew up in Satanism her whole life. She knew she needed deliverance. She had accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. She had gotten water baptized. And her family had threatened to kill her. I mean, this was, not, this was not a joke. Her family were Satanists. For her to do this, 
she, she was risking her life to follow Jesus. Okay, so she wasn't joking around about it. And she would find articles, sacrificial articles, things in her lawn, you know, and they were trying to intimidate her and freak her out. Well, anyway, Sandy took her to a Pentecostal church. And the preacher had come through, and he was praying for people, and had his Bible, and he just goes up and touches her. She went berserk. And some of y'all were there to see that she went berserk. She started cussing like a sailor. Now, this is in church. It's not really her, it's the demon. She's cussing like a sailor. She's taking a swing at the preacher. And he's rebuking. She falls out. And it took four grown men just to hold her still. And she was supernaturally strong, so she was picking up grown men off the ground like this. You know, and, and they were, her arms were coming back down. The preacher cast, what, 12, 14, 17 demons out of her, whatever. But thank God he wasn't a girly man that wouldn't deal with it. We don't need wimps and sissies. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't be a wimp and a sissy and be in revival because you will confront. The anointing that comes in revival is so intense, it will cause you to confront and stir up that type of activity because it's a clash between the powers of darkness and the power of God. And all these little pet doctrines that people had that, that may work in their little religious clique, in their little religious circle, but once revival comes... God's going to start drawing in and taking you to the lost and hurting people that are drug addicts, people that are prostitutes, people that are homosexuals, people that are in deep bondage, that have involved themselves in darkness, and, and they need deliverance. And when you come up against that, you're going to see things that you haven't seen before. See, it's easy to sit in some fancy church, and you've got all these high-class people, and you say, well, you know, all this deliverance stuff is a bunch of nonsense. You go out to the lost and hurting and start praying for people that are in the gutters of life and you will see it. So if you want revival, you better be ready to roll up your sleeves and deal with some things and be persecuted for it because people aren't going to understand. But let me just talk real quick about, and let me say this too, God moves in a way that requires humility. Let me explain that. You know why the Holy Spirit, you know the Holy Spirit being God, He could do whatever He wants to do. If He wanted to, if the Holy Spirit wanted to, He could just have everybody just sitting there. When He moves in power, everybody's just sitting there. So why does God Almighty... The Spirit of God, why does He come into a place and somebody will go flying across the room? Another person shaking under the power. Somebody's over there laughing hysterically. Somebody's crying hysterically. All this seems like this chaos is, why does He do that? Because He knows that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And He knows that it will require humility for people to humble themselves down and be okay with what He's doing. But the arrogant will sit back and they'll criticize it. They'll say it's of the devil. They'll be angry about it and they'll stomp out. God opposes the proud. God chooses vessels. I'm convinced of this. He chooses people that he knows that they are a person that it will require humility for people to receive them. And God will put the greatest anointing on them. Does that make sense? 
So the question is, are you willing to be persecuted for the anointing? Because when the anointing comes, I'm telling you, all kinds of stuff happens. I've seen it, and I've had to, to pay somewhat of a price. Because people don't understand. They don't understand the falling and the shaking and the crying and the laughing and all the things going on. They, and, then, and then demons manifesting. That, that's a whole new realm of people freaking out right there. You know what's sad? Is that most Christians in America that call themselves Christians are probably afraid of that. That's what's sad. But anyway, about turning from their wicked ways. This is what I kind of want to close with. But I'm concerned about some things I'm seeing out there. How many knows that without holiness, no man will see the Lord? Now remember the story I opened with about the analogy about the doctor that just wouldn't deal with stuff? How would you feel about that doctor? How would you feel about the preacher that made you feel good in your sin that one day you were in hell? How would you feel about that preacher? Would you love him or would you hate him? I want somebody to tell me the truth. And let me tell you that when people deal with stuff and they don't justify it, they don't argue about it, they really humble themselves and deal with it. There's a freedom in that. Man, there's a freedom. And, and there's a place of, of going deep in Christ and being close to the Lord. But I'm concerned about some of these things. Number one is worldliness. James 4.4. 4. I'm just going to read straight out of the Bible about some of this stuff. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Did you know that's in the Bible? Did you know people that are worldly are actually an enemy to God? That's what it says right there. And I'm concerned about some of the stuff I see in Christianity because I'm seeing people that it seems like the the... The more we're going into these last days, I'm seeing Christians, and you guys know what I'm talking about, somebody who's been saved for a while. I'm seeing Christians today backslide and compromise like I have never seen in my lifetime. It's, it's concerning. People are watching things in movies that are abomination to God. And let me say this too. I talked to you about, yes, some people when they get saved, they have bondage in their life. They need to be delivered. They need to be set free. God understands that, okay? They're struggling. They need to get free. They need to learn how to walk in victory. But somebody that is a true Christian will not remain in that bondage justifying it. They will be seeking the Lord and seeking to be free. But it takes preaching like this. The Bible talks about the washing of the water of the word. But I'm seeing Christians that are watching things and they'll sit there and they're watching people have sex and they're laughing and they're, they're just they're, they're sitting there watching things that all these this cussing and and it's like how can we justify that the, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's living in us and how can we justify that? Do you understand that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And garbage in, garbage out. You know, you're sitting there allowing that stuff in your eyes and in your ears. It's getting in you. The music that people listen to. The drinking, the clubbing, and the partying. You know, 
here's here's true Christianity. When somebody truly gets saved, the Bible says that old things pass away and everything becomes new. And so now, there's a death of the old. And if the Spirit of God comes to live in you, there is no way, there is no way that He's okay with that. And He won't let you get away with it. So here's, the, here's what I want you to see. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul said to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He's saying that we should examine ourselves. So here's some categories. Number one, God understands. I understand that some people need to be, to be delivered and set free from some bondage. I get that. The Lord gets that. But if they're really saved, they're going to press into that. And they're not going to be justifying sin. And if they're justifying sin, and if they can go out and do these things over and over and over, and they're not convicted, they don't feel convicted. They're at these clubs, they're at these parties, they're having sex outside of marriage, they're getting drunk, they're getting high, they're living like the world, they're partying like the world, and they don't feel bad about it, they're not convicted, bad convicted, they're not saved. Bottom line. The Spirit of God does not live in them because He will not let you get away with it. And they need to examine themselves and make sure they're in the faith. And I'll tell you something else that concerns me is I'm seeing what the Bible predicted in 2 Thessalonians. It says, in the last days before Jesus comes, there'll be a great falling away. And I'm concerned because I'm seeing people like never before fall away from the faith. They At once, they, they walked with the Lord, and now they've abandoned the faith. Wasn't it 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 1, it says, In the latter days, the Holy Spirit clearly says that some will abandon the faith, listening to doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. They're, they're abandoning the faith. And there's some kind of weird doctrine of demons that has come forth years ago that tries to tell people that you can live in sin and still go to heaven, and that once you've said some little prayer, no matter what you do, you're going to heaven. That's a lie from, straight from hell. And it, if somebody once walked with the Lord and they've walked away from him, it's like a Judas. Jesus, Jesus said about Judas, he said it, it would be better for him that he was never born. And, and you can read about it, and I believe it's Second Peter 3 in the book of Jude, but it talks about how a dog returning to its vomit, and a pig that was washed going back and wallowing around in the mud getting dirty again. And it says the latter end will be worse than the first. It would be better that they never known the truth to begin with than to have known it and walked away from it. That's the word. And if we're Christians and the Holy Spirit's really living in us, you can't keep doing what you're doing. That's the truth. How many of you guys ever been... Where you, you did something you knew was wrong and you were so convicted. I have been. Now be honest. How many of you guys have had that happen? Come on, show me. And I'm telling you, I've had times where I mean, I could barely sleep. The Holy Spirit was working on me. And it grieved me. It grieved the Holy Spirit. And He would not stop you know, correcting me and convicting me until I dealt, dealt with it. And I'm thankful that He did. He's patient. But let me give you some advice. Be quick to repent. If you do something wrong, be quick to repent but see it's our sin that separates us from God it's like I talked about earlier if my people humble themselves and pray seek my face turn from their wicked ways then I'll hear see it's that people 
They wonder why they pray and they don't get answers, but it's our sin that separates us from God. So worldliness. There's one church um, out in Greenville, and, you know, during the men's fellowship, they're out there pulling out the coolers and breaking out the Bud Lights and passing them out there by the church. Say, how can that happen? How in the world can people be okay with that? And I don't care what they think. I don't care right now if one of them hears me, that's sin. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Spirit of God is lifting off that church. And if you don't deal with that sin, there's going to be people in that church in hell one day because alcohol took them straight to hell. How could a preacher be okay with it? Can you even imagine what I would act like if I saw that? At, can you imagine? Man, I'd be so mad. Oh, friend. And the things that are going on. And people, even, even some of the young ladies that are dressing like the world, They'll come into youth at churches and they and they, they look like, you know, a slutty girl. I'm just telling you. They, it's horrible. All skimpy dressed, leaving nothing for the imagination. And they're coming in there and, and it's just, it's sin. But why isn't somebody saying something? The Bible says the older women should train up the younger. So some older woman should go up to her and love her enough to tell her, put some clothes on. Okay? You know, if we're really saved around here, we're going to be different than the world. We're going to dress different. We're going to talk different. We're going to think different. We're, everything about us is going to be different. And I'm going to show you a scripture too. In John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If Now I want you to hear this. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Now let's just stop right there. Is there some people that profess Christianity in this nation, but the world loves them? There'll be some entertainer. They profess Christianity, but they get on the stage and they dance all seductively, take their clothes off, and you know they cuss. They're out living this party life, and you know why the world loves them because they're part of the world. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, true, true Christians. Do you know what concerns me is I hear some people that they, they call themselves a Christian, but they can hang out with these non-Christians all the time, and, the, and they love them. They're just their best buddies. How in the world does that work? Because see, when somebody truly gets saved, you, don't, you usually don't even have to worry about all your old sinful friends leaving because once you truly get saved and you start talking to them about Jesus, they seem to find their way off. They don't want to hang out with you anymore. To them, you're boring. But see, what people don't understand is like the badger skins that was on the tabernacle. When you looked at the tabernacle, man, there was nothing about that thing that was attractive. These old badger skins, it was ugly. But if you went inside the tabernacle, inside the tent, it was beautiful and amazing. And that's a picture and type of Christianity. From the outside, people drive by and go, what in the world do those people get out of that? You know, they sit there, they sing a few songs, they hear somebody talk to them. You know, they all talk a few minutes and go home. What's the big deal? I'd rather stay home and watch TV. I'd rather stay home and watch the game. Why in the world? And it's so unattractive to them. But if they ever truly accept Jesus Christ and they have an encounter with God, they realize that they've come into 
the kingdom and they see it for what it really is. And it's amazing. So here it is. If you're somebody that has come to Jesus and you're still in bondage, you feel like something is controlling your life and that you want to be free but you're not, you're going to have to humble yourself and get somebody to, somebody to pray with you and get you free from that and keep going after God. But get free. The second thing is, if, if you're somebody that's living in sin and you feel comfortable in sin, then you need to do what the Apostle Paul said and examine yourself and see that you're probably not really truly saved. And really accept the Lord and be born again and let the Spirit of God come live in you. He'll transform your life. The second thing that concerns me is the carnality. I'm talking about the flesh that I see among professing Christians. Did you know in America that it's something like 80% or something claim to be Christians? There's probably 10, 20%. So what about all these other huge numbers of people? Where does that leave them? That leaves them in the Matthew 7.21 category. If you want to look on the bottom of your page. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many. Everybody say many. many. Jesus didn't say a few. Now, many to Jesus, we're talking hundreds of thousands. Many will say to me on that day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons. We performed many miracles then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. He's going to throw them into hell. So here's, here's the two complaints Jesus had. Number one, I never knew you. That's what I'm trying to tell people. They need to make sure that they know the Lord. They need to make sure they're really saved. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you're really his sheep, then when's the last time he spoke to you? And what did he say? This is good preaching. And the second complaint Jesus had was, he said you were evildoers, and in the Greek that's lawless. What that means is people that lived in sin. They called themselves Christians, but they lived in sin. Some people go to church and it's hidden and, they, and nobody even knows about it. But at work they're having an affair on their wife. And nobody knows. When nobody's around, they're into pornography. Maybe they're embezzling money and nobody knows about it. See, they go to church and they dress all nice and they sit there all pious and they give in the offering and they do all these things. Just like it says here, we, we perform miracles, we prophesy. They, they go into the church service and they participate. And you can still function in the gifts. They may give a message in tongues and interpretation. But all the while they're living in unrepentant sin behind the scenes and nobody knows in the church. But when they die and they stand before the Lord, they're going to be terrified because they're going to realize their sin has found them out. And Jesus is going to say, away from me, I never really knew you, you lived in sin, they're going to be thrown into hell. And Jesus said that would happen to many. That's concerning. So carnality is the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Listen to Galatians 5.19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage, impurity, Debauchery, debauchery is loose living, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. When's the last time that was preached in the, in the churches out there on, on Christian television? 
But we've got to learn to die to the flesh. And that's a big part of Christianity. Galatians 2.20 says that, you know, you've got to be crucified with Christ. The, one of the biggest parts of Christianity is this. That we realize and understand that we do have a sinful nature, but we've got to conquer it and die to it. You can't just, you can't give in to the flesh. The flesh wants to blow up in a rage, but you learn to die to that. The flesh wants to go get drunk, but you learn to die to that. The flesh wants to just, you know, start cussing up a storm when you get upset about something, but you learn to die to it. The temptation of giving in to the flesh. Everybody has a sinful nature, but we've got to learn how to conquer it and walk in victory over it. It doesn't rule your life. See, it's like this. The world, they, they are body, soul, and spirit because their body rules. But a Christian should be spirit, soul, and body because your spirit man rules. The Holy Spirit lives in you and you live by the spirit, not giving in to the flesh. You're developing your spirit, your inner man. That comes through prayer. It may have to come through fasting to break some, some of that in your life. But you learn how to die to the flesh and put it under subjection and walk in the spirit. That is a huge part of Christianity. Because the flesh is always wanting the things that are sinful. But if you're a true Christian, your inner man is always wanting the things of God. And so there's this war going on within you. But if you learn how to die to the flesh and walk in the Spirit, you'll walk in victory over those things. And I'm concerned because I'm seeing a lot of flesh in church. The people that are coming to church, but yet they get up and sing or whatever, and you can tell it's all about the applause. It's not about glorifying Him. That's flesh. All the things now that are catering to people. Listen, you know what real Christianity, real church should be? Everybody should have the mindset, is this pleasing to the Lord? What does He think about this? What does he think about this worship? What does he think about this sermon? What does he think about the service? How does Jesus feel about this? That should be all of our heart, but it's not like that anymore. Now people are just licking their fingers, sticking it in wind. And whichever way the wind's blowing, it's like this is what people want, so give it to them. That's flesh. It's catering to the flesh. What makes you feel comfortable? That's the flesh. We've got to learn to die to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Quit having wandering eyes and get them under control in the pride of life. The third thing you're going to have to learn to conquer, not only worldliness and get cleansed from worldliness and live holy and learn how to die to your flesh, but you're also going to learn how to overcome demonic temptation. Even Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when you give in to temptation. See, Eve didn't sin just because the devil was standing in front of her going, eat the fruit. She sinned when she ate the fruit. Jesus didn't sin when the devil came to him and tempted him. He had to rebuke him. See, everybody's going to have this temptation. And usually the way the devil attacks people is trying to pull you into your past sins. If you had a drug problem, he'll try to pull you into drugs. If you had an alcohol problem, he'll try to do that. If you had a sex problem, he'll try to put sexual perversions around you. He tries to pull you back into your old lifestyle. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That needs to be understood. You know, Ray Comfort was going through talking to people on the streets, and we watched this, and it was amazing. And just He was out there witnessing like he does so well. And some people were saying they're Christians. He said, well, do you live holy? And once he started kind of talking to them, they had to admit they were, you know, they were having sex outside of marriage. They were doing recreational drugs. They were partying. They were living in sin. You cannot have both. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You're going to have to love one and hate the other. And we're coming into the days, the last days that we're in, that's going to force. It's going to force people. They cannot any longer ride a fence or hold the hand with the devil and hold hands with Jesus. It's not going to work anymore because they're going to come to a place progressively where they're forced. That they're either going to be a part of the body of Christ or a part of the body of the Antichrist. And there's no in-between. But without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So when the enemy comes in and starts tempting you, you've got to learn to not put up with it. But do what Jesus did. He quoted the Bible at the devil and rebuked him. So number one, we're getting all the worldliness flushed out of us. Okay, everybody, when you come to Jesus, everybody still has some worldliness. You get upset about something, you go off cussing and mad. And somebody's like, oh man, you got saved, you know, calm down. And then, and then pretty soon that gets out of you. Jesus gets it out of you. He's patient with, and, and there's things in your life that's compromising and the Lord deals with you and convicts you. He cleans you up. That's normal Christianity. But we've got to get all that worldliness out of us. And not just the worldliness in, in, in regards to sin, but in the way that we think. You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of things that people still think in their minds that's got to get out. Then we've got to learn how to die to the flesh and walk in the spirit. That's a big enemy. You know, people want to get, it's almost like they want to get delivered from the flesh. <clears throat> and it's funny because you're stuck with that till you die. You can't get a preacher to cast the flesh out of you. Well, I don't, I don't like the way I do this, you know, and I've been struggling with this. It's like, man, you just got to learn to conquer that. There's, there's no other way. But here's the thing. Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you and he's big enough and powerful enough to help you do that. So you get the worldliness out. You, you die to the flesh, but you learn how to quit putting up with demonic temptation. Everybody has demonic temptation. And the way that it comes, this is good, I hope you guys are listening. The way that it comes, it's like these little darts that come into your mind and they try to get into your thinking. A lustful thought. A bitter thought. They try to get you to remember stuff people's done wrong and get you all bitter. They want to stir stuff up. They want to stir up strife. You're at work. So-and-so really didn't even do anything, but something is riding you trying to get you mad at them. You're thinking, why are they looking at me like that? What's their problem? And they're just sitting there just minding their own business. You know, they didn't even do anything. This is demonic stuff. I'm serious. Lustful stuff. Just weird thoughts. They're trying to come in, and you've got to learn to, to throw that out and rebuke that demon. Get out of here in Jesus' name. I'm not putting up with it, and drive back those things. Everybody faces demonic temptation, but learn how to not give in to it and rebuke it. You know, when Jesus came, Eve fell in, in three areas. She, she gave in to the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw the fruit was good. That's the lust of flesh. She's probably hungry. I don't think the devil was stupid enough to come to her right after she ate a meal and tempt her with food. Okay, he probably waited till she was hungry. 
So she was hungry and it looked good. Lust of the eyes, it says it looked good for food. It, you know, the eyes and then the pride of life, you'll be like God. When Jesus came, the devil did the same thing to him and Jesus conquered in all three places. The lust of the flesh. You know Jesus was hungry after 40 days of fasting, okay? And the devil said, turn that stone to bread. And Jesus could have done it. But he rebuked him. And Jesus took him up to the temple and said, I'll give you all these kingdoms. That's the pride of life. If you'll bow down and worship me. And the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride of life. Remember, all three temptations Jesus faced was like a parallel of what Eve went through. But Jesus didn't give in to it. He rebuked the enemy. He didn't give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And the last thing is this demonic deception, believing the lies of the enemy. Now this is a big one because the world is, is really trying to deceive people. They're going into universities and colleges and they're being, the professors are really challenging things. They're trying to make people believe Jesus never lived or the Bible isn't true. And there's a lot of things that are in the world. And you're going to, I believe you're going to see more and more of these weird mentalities like the Da Vinci Code and all this stuff. And they're trying to get people to quit believing that the Bible is the Word of God and quit believing in Jesus. It's an Antichrist spirit. But it's deception. And you're seeing deception creep into the church because you're seeing now Christianity trying to merge with Islam. We talk about weird, friend. And you're seeing Christianity trying to merge with witchcraft. And you're going, how do people justify this weirdness? I had a girl, she was so mad at me, I don't remember if she cussed me out or what, but on the internet because I, I would not be okay with witchcraft and Christianity. And then their mentality is, oh, well, you know, you're so hateful. How is that hate, man? I just don't agree with you. And, and she was just so mad. And I had, I had, a, I had another girl that defriend, you know, um, unfriended me on Facebook and quit coming around here and stuff because I would not condone witchcraft. <laughs> and you're seeing this weird merge where, where people say, well, I'm a Christian. One of the biggest homosexual churches is in Dallas, the last I heard. But it, see, here's, here's about the girly men preachers right here. People will get offended and they'll go find them a preacher that will tell them they're okay. And there's plenty of the girly men preachers out there that'll do it. Even after the rapture takes place, I believe with all my heart, there's still going to be some preachers trying to tell everybody it's okay. We all missed it, but you know, it's okay. You'll be alright. It's like, I mean, what, what's going on in their head? But see, what happens is somebody, I've seen this over and over and over, people go to a church and they'll hear the truth, and instead of repenting, they get upset and they leave, they storm out and they go find them a preacher that'll tell them what they want to hear or just won't touch the issue. And then they'll sit there in that church comfortable in their sin because it's not being dealt with. Friend, that's a dangerous way to live. That really is like playing Russian roulette with your soul. But listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
That's the word right there. Do not be deceived. When Jesus, they asked Jesus about the end times, the first thing he said in Matthew 24, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, any sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men having sex with men or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. You know, slanderers is people run others down behind their back. Nor swindlers, people try to cheat others out of their money. These will not inherit the kingdom of God. It can't be much more clear than that. In Revelation 21.8, I didn't actually pull up the scripture, but it talks about all liars and it goes through this list of people who practice the dark arts and all these things. Their place will be in the lake of fire. But listen to what it goes on to say in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what, um, let me pull this up here. 1 Corinthians 3.17, it says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, and you are that temple. Did you know that was in the Bible? If you defile your temple, God will destroy that temple. Some people go to an early grave, because they've made themselves the temple of the Holy Spirit and they pollute it with sexual sins and drugs and alcohol and all this filth they put in their body and they pollute their temple and they die young. And it's because they're defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit and they won't repent. And so God ends up having to allow that destruction of their body. See, in revival, God loves people enough to deal with these issues and he's not going to leave you there convicted like this you know what the lord wants he wants all of us to get the sin out repent get washed in the blood and go deeper in christ these sermons take us closer to god because it's our sin that separates us from god so these sermons like this when you get into the word of god they actually remove all these hindrances out of your life so you can be closer to the lord and you can sense his nearness and you can get answered prayers let me tell you I don't ever want to live in a place that would be one of the scarier things to live in a place where I knew my prayers weren't going to be answered. That's scary. But God does not hear the prayers of people that live in unrepentant sin. Your sin separates you where He's not listening to your prayers. If we want true revival, God is going to take us deeper in Him He's going to release His presence. You're going to start seeing things you've never seen. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit like you've never seen. And the religious will say it's demons. They said the same thing about Jesus. The religious people said about Jesus, you have a demon and you are driving out demons by demons. You have demons in you and that's what you're using is demonic spirits. To, and Jesus said a kingdom divided can't stand. How is Satan going to drive out Satan? If you, if you have an anointing, you, you will see the manifestations of demonic spirits that will manifest because that mighty anointing will come up and hit them and they're going to manifest and there's going to be a clash between powers. 
you will see it. Are you guys ready for this? Are you ready for greater manifestations of the Holy Spirit that the religious persecute? Are you ready? Are you ready for a greater anointing that causes a greater confrontation between the powers of darkness? Are you ready? And God will take people deeper in Him and deal with sin. But I want to be somebody that God can deal with and get things out of. And God may need to set some people free. Not necessarily those here per se, because I know many of you have gone through deliverance. But just people that are coming in. that They don't realize it, but they're full of bondage. And they're trying to live for Jesus, but there's stuff there that's hindering them. And they need those obstacles removed. And let me tell you something else about revival. God's not going to live in your little religious box of what you think revival is, your pet doctrines and all this stuff. All that's going to get blown out of the water. And if you're not careful, you can get offended. If you're not careful, you can get offended because God will deliberately do things that will go against your little pet doctrines. And I'm really concerned, I'm closing out with this, we'll pray, but I'm really concerned because I'm seeing, like I've never seen in my lifetime, I'm seeing things that are creeping into the church that would have never been allowed in the previous generation. But this generation is tolerating things. And they're not, they're not rebuking sin, they're not dealing with it. And what's happening is, is where there's sin in the camp, the glory of God will lift. And they're not having that glory in their midst that's going to protect them, by the way, in these last days. And there's an absence of the glory. And also, where there's sin in the camp, we need to take note of the victory of Jericho, then the battle of Ai, that when Achan stole that stuff from Jericho and there was sin in the camp, Israel went to war and lost. They had just defeated Jericho, which should have never happened. It was supernatural, major, huge victory. And then they go to fight a little city. It should have been a quick, easy battle, and they got whipped. Why? There was sin in the camp. You cannot defeat the devil when there's sin in the camp. The Apostle Paul said about in First um, Corinthians five, Corinthians, First Corinthians five, he talked about the man that was having sex with his stepmom, sexual immorality. And he said to remove that person out and get the yeast purged out. Get the yeast purged out of the church. See, if that that sin isn't purged out and there's not a cleansing, then it's a door for the devil. So how many people are wanting to go deeper in Christ? This is the call tonight. Go deeper. See, sermons like this don't bother me. I I used to sit all the time under the preaching at Brownsville, the Brownsville Revival. I'm talking night after night after night. After, you know, I, I listed over and over and over. It was sermons just like this. And it, it didn't bother me. I was thankful to hear the truth. I wanted to know. Because I honestly, before that, I did not know that things that I was watching in movies was affecting me spiritually. But once I knew it and I repented, then I realized how much it was. See, people don't realize it because it's not being preached. And they don't realize how serious it really is and how much it really is affecting them. See, one of the things I've learned is this. 
some people, you'll see them. You guys heard the analogy about the frog that was in the pan of water? And they put this frog in a pan of water and put a fire, a Bunsen burner underneath and turned it up real high. And the frog felt the heat and jumped out. But they, they learned, though, that if you could take that Bunsen burner and put that flame real low and just gradually heat it really slow, that the frog would just sit there until it was boiled alive and never even jump out. So here's the problem. Satan knows that all he has to do is be real subtle. And he knows that gradually, very slowly, just real subtle, turn up the heat, and some Christians will sit there and allow themselves to be spiritually boiled alive and not even realize they're deceived. Why do you think that the devil decided in the chambers of hell as he was counseling with his dark spirits, why do you think he chose to put witchcraft and package it in children's movies? Because he knew that people would be naive and stupid enough that because it was a little kid movie to feel okay about it. Oh, it's just a kid movie. It's that low flame. And in the natural, some people, they live in such filth that they don't even realize. You know, if you're around something long enough, you don't even notice it. You don't even notice the filth that people live in. I heard this one guy telling a story. It made me laugh. He said that his kids had puked in his car. And um, he had cleaned everything out the best he could, but it was such a smell. And he got to where he didn't even notice it, but his dad got in the car and was like, man, what is that smell? And so he was saying, he's making a point that people... In the natural, they live in filth, and they don't even realize it. They don't even notice it anymore. They get acclimated to it. They don't even smell it. They don't feel it. They don't notice it. And it's the same way in the spirit. People have allowed things in their life spiritually. There's a stench. There's, it's disgusting spiritually, but it's like the pig pen that the prodigal was in. They don't even realize how dirty they really are and that they're eating filth. Can you imagine being the prodigal and eating like the same things the pigs were eating? They were eating this junk, this garbage. There was manure all around them. They were having to live in a pig pen, friend. And it was disgusting, but they got acclimated to it and used to it until finally something snapped and they came to their senses and said, what am I doing here? See, some people have allowed such filth in their life spiritually... They're so spiritually defiled and dirty by what they've allowed in their life. Things they watch and listen to and participate in. They've defiled themselves. They wonder why they don't feel God's nearness. They wonder why their prayers aren't being answered. And and they're so spiritually defiled, they've gotten to where they don't even notice it. And it's sermons like this that can help people come to their senses and go, Wait a second. I need to get out of this pig pen. I should be able to pray and sense God's nearness. I should have answered prayers. I should be in revival. I should be on fire for God. What's wrong? Something is trying to block this blessing in my life. Here's what I want to do. If you want to get some things right with the Lord tonight, whatever it is, I'm going to give a few minutes for people to just pray and deal with things on your own. I want you to pray. And then after that, if you want Sandy and I to pray with you, we'll be happy to pray with you. But just just for a moment, no moving around, please. Just hold on. But I want people to get alone with God and pray about the things preached today. 
is there worldliness? Is there the flesh that's being given into? Is there demonic temptation that's being given into? Is there deception? Where things of the world, it's, it's like now you're deceived and you're, you're accepting things that you shouldn't be accepting. It's like the world is trying to make abortion seem okay and, and homosexual marriage okay and, and, all, and trying to, you know, it, it's just weird. It, it's a deception. But now you're seeing a lot of people that profess Christianity that are falling into these deceptions too. So anyway, I'm going to just go ahead and shut off recordings. But I'm asking you, Lord, right now, that by your Spirit, you will show us if there's areas right now. Holy Spirit, come convict us. Just ask the Holy Spirit to do it. Come show me. Expose it to me. Help me see if there's worldliness, if there's carnality, if there's deception, if there's things I've been given into. Help me to see it. Deal with me. I want to go deeper in Christ. And every hindrance that's trying to hinder me from going deeper in Christ, I want it out of my life.